Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Noise in Brief, PR UK's fortnightly podcast series, where we discuss the biggest industry news stories from the past week in a bite-sized format. I'm John Harrington, editor of PR Week UK, and today I'm joined by reporters Evie Barrett and Eliza Radu. Throughout August, PR Week has been running profile interviews with in-house comms and corporate affairs leaders, asking what they like and don't like about agencies. We discuss one of the profiles last time in our podcast and we thought we'd reflect on a couple more today. So Eliza, you spoke to Subway's Amir comms boss, Joan O'Connor. What were some of Joan's main views about agencies? So I spoke to Joan who reflected on how agencies should be able to offer a range of services from creative campaigns to corporate comms. She was telling me that there are a blurred line between each of these sectors and she's seen a shift back to generalists. Whereas before people were specializing in specific niches, she's a big believer of PR being implemented locally. And you can see this through Subway's work where they work with different agencies based on region and location. Before working with agencies, she asks herself, are they adding value by bringing in that external real world lens? And that really resonated with me because depending on the type of campaign, it's not always one size fits all. So to really tailor and target specific niches and consumers, the PR has to be implemented locally. It's interesting that, isn't it? I, I definitely think you can see this in McDonald's in the UK over quite a few years now when they their sort of marketing moved away from the very Americanized kind of corporate big clown approach to something much more sort of personal and um, family oriented, family orientated and really kind of rooted in the communities, I guess, that go to McDonald's. And yeah, it's interesting that sort of Subway is kind of taking that same approach. And it totally makes sense, I think. It's interesting what you said as well about the generalists, because I think that's always a really interesting kind of balance, isn't it, with agencies? It's sort of, you know, you want people to 
have certain amounts of skills, but what you don't want is a jack of all trades, master of none. So it's interesting that her sort of priority is to have people who can kind of see a lot. But then I guess it's a huge organisation with a mountain of of issues and just things to deal with. So it's interesting that that kind of broad ability is so important. The creativity point is what I've heard from a lot of the in-house comms people that I've spoken to. I think they want someone who obviously understands their brand to a certain extent, but more so can come in with an outside perspective and bring fresh ideas and things that might resonate more with the audience for the campaigns. Yeah, definitely. That thing about the external lens is so important. I mean, it's something that Mm. I hear a lot talking to in-house people. I think sometimes the sort of in-house leaders can feel a bit like they're kind of drinking the Kool-Aid of their own organisation. And they really want to be the eyes and ears And that's what they need the agencies for who really need to be kind of focusing on what's happening in culture and society and politics and and everything else to really kind of be that that expert counsel. Great. Well, I recommend reading the profile with Joan, but I had the pleasure of speaking to Jenny Hall, Corporate Affairs Director at Royal Mail last week. And this article is going to go up this week. Jenny was interesting. She talked about how she really dislikes lazy ideas, such as just suggesting an infographic or a podcast without giving any reason why that would help the business. So it's really that point about relating any suggestions to the business goals, which sounds obvious, but I think there's sometimes a tendency for agencies to look at the shiny new thing and think, oh, we must do something in AI, we must do something on threads or whatever it might be, rather than really looking at how it will help the business and then sort of work backwards. Jenny was saying she wants agencies to bring the outside in and challenge me and my team and and this is kind of similar to what Joan was saying really that idea of being the eyes and ears of the outside world but also challenging and I think that in itself is something that again we see across these senior in-house leaders that idea that they don't want yes people they want people to say that's a bad idea for this reason and probably find a way to say that that is appropriate but that was a really interesting point I think and she also spoke about how she's a big big fan of proactivity just doing stuff, not sitting on hands and waiting for things to come to them, but actively suggesting things that can be useful. So I I think there's that sense of um, sort of attitude as well, this idea that you should be out there looking at things, actively suggesting things and really being proactive about it. So yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Does anyone have any other views on those points that, that Jenny was making? I agree with her with the lazy ideas point. Sometimes you'll see a pop up or you'll see quite a few pop-ups in the recent months about food or wine. And although pop-ups can be engaging and can raise awareness, what else do they have to offer? On that point, I was going to say it's quite funny that a podcast can be seen as a lazy idea because I guess in theory it's an easy win, but it's a lot of work and you can't just make a one-off podcast it kind of has to be a series and and planned out exactly exactly and I think you know podcasts are in vogue and so on (laughs) Um, I still believe they're still in vogue and it's a good example of something that you know a lot of people are interested in they like the idea of it but sometimes the idea and the reality are quite different as you say it's a lot of work and I'm sure infographics are a lot of work as well (laughs) and various other things that um you know there's a lot that you could do it's just a case of what you should do I think yeah Moving on, ESG has been in the news a lot recently. Some people say corporations are moving away from it, given the criticism in some quarters to so-called woke marketing. I don't like that term, but there it is. Not least Bud Light's activity with trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney, the backlash to which reportedly cost Bud Light's owner around $400 million. Meanwhile, some populist governments have been seemingly rolling back environmental pledges 
The UK recently granted 100 new oil and gas drilling licenses, for example. McDonald's famously recently removed the term ESG from parts of its website. There's also some evidence that investment firms are moving away from ESG equity funds. I wrote a piece earlier this month actually asking if ESG budget cuts are inevitable, and if so, what that might mean for the comms industry. So, is ESG on the way out? What do we think of this? I don't think ESG is on the way out, but I think there's a change in priorities. So, gone are the days when anyone could create a woke marketing campaign because consumers can tell when a campaign is disingenuous, like the case with Dylan Mulvaney. However, backing away from ESG could be attributed to the cost of living crisis and the upcoming general election. We're seeing budgets being cut, which means money previously allocated to ESG is being moved. We're not sure where, but being moved somewhere. We're also seeing politicians trying to ring in new voters and not everyone thinks the environment or certain social issues are important, which could impact the E and the S. But I also think this could mean there's diversification for ESG, so it could be transforming into something else. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a big shift in priorities, um, not in all cases anyway. Like with McDonald's, I think possibly it's just more that the way they want to frame things going forward. So it was reported that most of the text on its purpose page on its website wasn't actually changed. It was literally just the references to the phrase ESG that were removed. So it seems like they still have the same goals going forward. They just don't want to be associated with ESG as a buzzword anymore. I think it makes sense because it's such a big term and there's so many different elements to it that to group all of that under one phrase is quite a big ask. Yeah, it feels like in a way the ESG brand has become slightly problematic, hasn't it? Mm. I think, you know, two or three years ago, it was all the rage and everyone was talking about it. And I think like any sort of acronym or buzz term, sometimes it can have its day and it doesn't mean that the principles behind it are gone. No one really talks about corporate social responsibility, that term CSR, as much anymore, but it doesn't mean that CSR has disappeared. As you say, things evolve. I do sort of think that the political point was right in the sort of upcoming election. It feels as though government's priorities are, you know, particularly with the popular votes coming up, but also the cost of living crisis and so on, and we can see it now with the debate over ULES, the, the expansion of that in London. It does feel like there is that kind of temptation to move away from the E of the ESG. But I also think things are going to swing back because they're going to have to swing back. I mean, the climate crisis isn't going away. Mm. And it feels like this is quite a populist government move, really, to sort of move away from the E. Ultimately, it's a short term move to get votes but at some point it's going to have to be addressed. So I feel at the moment, overall, there's a sort of the, the ESG brand is maybe not as strong as it was. It doesn't mean that the principles behind it aren't. But I do think we're going to be in a situation where the environment will definitely come back as a huge issue. I mean, you just have to look at all of the problems we've been having around the world with floods and with uh, droughts and heat waves and so on. And as for the sort of the S, the sort of social element, it also feels like that will continue to be something that the corporations focus on. I just think they're not going to do it for the sake of it. I think in a way it's maybe quite a good thing that there's been a backlash against sort of inauthentic social campaigns and maybe, you know, it'll force organisations to do it properly, if you like. So, yeah, I sort of agree that I think it's an evolution, but I think ESG 
as a concept will remain and whether it'll be called ESG, I don't know. I'll maybe my- Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Give the term two or three years. And then it will go the way of another term, perhaps, mm. but we'll see. Okay, moving on. The ugly side of the beautiful game has been showing its head recently. And I think some of the comms here have been lacking, to say the least. The famous incident where Spanish football's president, Luis Rubiales, kissed a player, Jennifer Hermoso, after Spain won the Women's World Cup has been a major story of the colossal backlash, really. Got 81 female Spanish players saying they won't play for the squad again while he's there. Amazingly, the Spanish Football Federation has threatened legal action against the player, accusing her of lying when she said she didn't consent to the kiss. Rubiales has refused to resign. His mum's on hunger strike for some reason. And it's not just this issue. You know, we've seen it with Manchester United and people accusing the club of mishandling comms around the Mason Greenwood incident. And then you look at the criticism of Nike for not producing replica shirts of England goalie Mary Earps. So it feels like the different levels of severity, football is not having a particularly good time in terms of its communications on one level, but also the way it operates. And I should probably mention some of the controversy around Saudi Arabia too. A lot of individual players who've who've gone there and have, have received criticism, none more probably than Jordan Henderson, who has been very much an advocate for LGBT rights and people questioning why he's going there to a country where those aren't respected. So there's been a lot happening here. Obviously too much to discuss all of these details in detail. And, you know, I'd make the point that we're not necessarily blaming the comms professionals at these organisations. But why do we think generally football is struggling with its communications at the moment? As an outside observer, I see footballers and their respective clubs as brands, similar to how you would see an influencer maybe. This means to me, football as a whole is trying to sell a product. They're trying to sell an experience. It's like a package. I think footballers need to be more mindful of their actions and be aware of the power and the influence they have over fans, the fans who essentially pay them. I think they all need some sports diplomacy training, both on and off the pitch, because they're doing a job and their job is to sell a product. With all the ongoing controversy, it's clear that they've forgotten this. And people must remember there's a difference between equality and equity. And by that meaning, there's a lot of double standards within the female sport and the male sports that we've seen with the case with Nike. I think the women's football side of it is really interesting because it seems to be a turning point in terms of 
the amount of attention that it's getting. It's sort of symbolic of wider gender equality in sport. So it's obviously under huge scrutiny at the moment. There are a lot of things being called out, many of them very rightly so, but I imagine it is difficult to be on the comm side of it and knowing what decisions to make in these situations, like especially with the Nike example. I wonder if it was a men's shirt that people wanted and that hadn't been made and Nike had come out and said that they'd review it for next time, whether there would have been as much backlash or whether people would have been satisfied with that. But then again, they may have just manufactured the men's shirt in the first place. So it it is a tough one, but I can understand to an extent Nike's approach because the men's game is obviously a lot more profitable for them as it stands. So their decisions do make sense from a commercial point of view. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there's really a sense that it's become a cultural issue, hasn't it? Yeah. As a lot of things do these days. And you can see where the decision not to produce a Mary Epps shirt presumably was driven by the commercial team who would say, Mm. how many are we likely to sell? And probably their answer was not many because maybe people don't buy goalie shirts that often. Yeah. And so from that point of view, that was the reason they took it. But this is where, in a way, it goes back to what we're saying about the eyes and the ears and that sort of sense of zeitgeist that actually... If someone has said to them, you know, this is a really bad look that we sell these other goalie shirts and we're not selling the shirt of the best female goalkeeper in the world, that's a bit of a bad look. Mm. So this is where I think you need to have the sort of comms professionals really leaning on some operational things or sort of giving their advice that encourages, you know, businesses to do that. And who knows, maybe they did. Maybe this is one where the comms were overruled. But yeah, I think it's fascinating and certainly in terms of how it fits into wider sort of culture war issues it's a shame really because spain won the women's world cup however all this negative news has been put upon them so even though they want to celebrate all the headlines are dominated with these controversies and these issues and i hope they all get a moment to just sit there and revel in their success because they really deserved it Yeah. I mean, you think about last summer when England won the Euros, just what a moment that was to sort of talk about the success of women's football in England and the opportunities for cliche time, but inspiring a generation and all of that sort of stuff, but also the commercial opportunities for brands and so on. And it is a shame that that's that's sort of been swept under by this controversy. So, yeah, I agree. Okay, um, looking at campaigns now, there's an interesting story from our colleagues at Campaign Magazine last week about an advert from Gymbox placed on the top of a London bus that was promoted in the trade press but never actually appeared. If you remember a few months ago a campaign for Maybelline featuring mascara seemingly being applied to a tube train as it went through the station got a lot of praise. The makers of that campaign never claimed it actually happened however because that would be presumably completely ridiculous. So I thought it was an interesting question here. What is the future of sort of tangible, real PR stunts involving things that actually happen in real life, whether that's outdoor ads or stunts, you know, big things being placed near big rivers, for example, or floated down them perhaps at a time when computer mock-ups are so easy, particularly in the age of AI, you know, given the environmental costs and the actual costs of such things, what's the point? What do you both think? Oh, incidentally, WPP's chief executive Mark Reed told Reuters recently that savings from AI-generated ads can be between 10 and 20 times. So I thought that was an interesting insight Mm. into how much can be saved by using AI. And obviously, straightforward adverts are going to be more expensive than standard PR stunts. 
but it gives an interesting insight, I think. So, yeah, what do you both think of this? Yeah, I think it really does show the power of PR, the fact that a campaign can have success in terms of earned media without even having bought media in the first place. It's obviously a bit of a novelty at the moment. I think with the Maybelline one, they didn't pretend that it was real, but they also didn't shout about the fact that it was digitally generated. So when people found out, they were quite impressed and it was a bit of a novelty. But I think people might get bored of that if all we're ever seeing is digital campaigns and nothing's actually physically created. But at the same time, like you say, it does make sense commercially and economically when most attention comes from social media nowadays anyway, to kind of have that be the main channel for the campaign makes, yeah, complete sense. But I think transparency is key and not kind of hiding the fact that things aren't real because otherwise you risk audiences, media literacy just disappearing in terms of knowing what's real and what's not. I think we need to not blur the lines there. Yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, we've had calls from agencies, actually Ogilvy were calling for brands and agencies to always state when they're using AI in their campaigns, right? Mm. I think something like that sort of feeds into this, really. I think you're right. It's about transparency. I also think that when it comes to the sort of the nature of PR stunts and sort of when, you know, sort of things are physically produced for the benefit of PR, I think maybe we'll see a move towards those things actually being useful and being a benefit to some people. So a good example is those benches put in parks for the campaign for Afterlife, you know, the Netflix show with mm. Ricky Gervais. That was a really good campaign. So yeah, benches with some of the lines from the show were placed in parks across the country. And apparently more councils were asking for those benches to be put and people actually liked them. You know, it's a useful thing to have. It might not be the most dramatic, but you know, it gave something back, if you like, to local communities. I wonder if we're going to move towards a time when more gimmicky, stunty PR things are going to be a bit more of a thing of the past. I'm not criticising those stunts in themselves, but just when you think about the environmental impact and the cost of these things, whether that might be something for, for history, but we'll see. Okay, finally, PR Week's new regular feature PR Room 101 has been causing a bit of a stir. This is where someone in the industry chooses three things about PR to banish into Room 101 and disappear forever. In the last podcast, Siobhan, Evie and I revealed what we would put into Room 101 and we didn't want Eliza to miss this golden opportunity. So, Eliza, over to you. I don't really have many bugbears, but one thing that does frustrate me a little bit is the title of this publication is PR Week not PR Weekly. It's been PR Week since the 80s. So it's really funny to me when I get emails and tailored content that says to PR Weekly. And I'm like, who is, who's the weekly? Yes, I agree. Although I suppose it's probably slightly better saying PR Weekly than one of our competitors, which does happen from time to time as well. But no valid point. And thank you for that. Okay, that's it for this episode. Noise in Brief goes live every two weeks. In the meantime, look out for our Beyond the Noise podcast next week. Thanks to Evie and Eliza, and thanks to you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.